Welcome to episode 30 of Rayboard Rewind. My name is Spencer Luganbuehl, and today my special guest is horse racing Twitter's weatherman, Marshall Sterling. Today we go over some races from last weekend at Oakland Park with some angles including looking at an above average claiming race and how Spencer using improper bankroll management stopped him from hitting an overlaid favorite. This is Redboard Rewind. It's the same old story in this cycle. We go back and forth. We go back and forth. It ain't good for me. Why we do this for? We go back and forth. Won't do this no more. Always have to sell it. 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 And now I'd like to welcome in my special guest, the weatherman of all weathermen for horse racing Twitter, the person I will never ask what the weather is at the track that day, Marshall Stowing. Marshall, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Spencer. How about yourself, man? I'm hanging in there. So how was your day yesterday for Oakland Park? Uh, overall, it was pretty good. Um, I had some some stronger opinions in the later half of the card, uh, and overall, uh, my opinions were, were good, except the last race. Um, but yeah, I was I was happy with how things came out. Was there any specific sequence or specific race you thought that you had a really good hang on going into the day? You know, I I I liked the the late pick four a lot. I I was singled in every ticket to to uh, you know break even in in race nine. I really I really love break even. Um, but yeah, it, uh, it that was that was by far my strongest opinion uh, throughout the day. Obviously, I've been off the airways for the last month or so going with the uh, coronavirus pandemic right now. What's it been like for you with uh, less tracks and maybe playing the different tracks like Fauner and the Will Rogers? You know, it, it it's different. It, it definitely is. Uh, I, I've dabbled a little bit in Fauner and, and Will Rogers, although, you know, I tried to stay away from them. Uh, but I always do enjoy looking at, uh, at what people's opinions are in races and and you know, always trying to keep an eye on the races. And especially right now when there are so few tracks that are, that are racing right now, it actually makes it a lot easier to keep up with racing in general, just because, you know, you, you, during the daytime, you have three tracks that run. So it's, it's really easy to be able to keep an eye on every race, as long as they're not running on top of each other. It's so interesting. You would think that with a lot of the tracks going away, that a lot of horse racing Twitter would like die down. There wouldn't be as much content. And I think there's almost more content now than a month ago when there was 12 tracks going on a Saturday. Well, that's exactly it. And especially considering that now, you know, people are working from home and they have their home offices set up and, and they've been really, you know, getting used to working from home there. There has been a lot more content and I feel like there's been a lot more people on Twitter, especially on social media, with talking about every race that's going on just because there aren't that many races. So it's a lot easier to be able to, to really focus in on a few races and, and actually get some, some intelligent ideas from other people uh, on social media. For me, I've always, when you read certain handicapping books, the guys will say, Oh, people at the lower tracks will actually end up making more than the guys at the bigger tracks because they just had that much of a bigger edge. And that's where also all the big fish aren't playing. So it's very interesting to watch people now play Fawn or Will Rogers. And, like, these tracks are getting huge, huge handle bumps. 
And it's going to be interesting to see at the end of it if someone actually ended up having a very good, you know, couple of months at Will Rogers. Now, will they switch to Will Rogers and, you know, do less Gulfstream? Something I'm very interested in coming out and talking to different handicappers about it. Yeah, it definitely will be interesting. You know, for me, um, as far as lower tracks are concerned, you know, I'll play the Midwest tracks. I'm from Minnesota, so I, I always play Canterbury and Prairie Meadows and stuff like that. But, you know, Fawner and Will Rogers were, were never in my wheelhouse. Uh, and because of that, because I've never had it really experienced with any of the local jockey colony or the trainer colonies what there, I just really don't feel comfortable splashing a lot of money at those tracks. Um, but it has been interesting to see their handles, you know, over a million dollars for a day um, at the at these tracks that would never see anything close to that. I think when you look at the lower level tracks like that, I think you end up seeing a lot more claiming races. Is that something that you tend to have a stronger feeling or approach on or are you more into the stake and allowance races i i started handicapping in general looking at stakes races and and higher level allowance races just because it felt like form was a lot easier to have a have an idea about uh whereas a lot with the claiming game you know it it is very weird sometimes you know trainers intent matters condition books matter um, and I feel like there's a lot more variability as far as that is concerned with claiming races. Uh, I've done fairly decent with claiming races at Canterbury, uh, just because of my knowledge of the track and owners and jockeys and all of that. But uh, traditionally, I've not fared great with claiming races in general, especially at a track like Will Rogers or, or, or those. Well, I feel like it too. People who have, you know, bankroll management and maybe they don't have the biggest bankroll, you should be cutting whatever you, if you were betting 10 bucks a race, that should be down to five for the first two or three weeks that you're always looking at a new track. I'll never understand people who bet 50 at Saratoga, but then they'll bet, you know, the same 50 at Del Mar when they, I see them predominantly looking at Saratoga day in, day out, and then they're just going to play the late pick three over at Del Mar. Yeah. You know, bankroll management is is so hard in general. You know, the, the the you know the adage about you know betting every race and how you're going to lose your money. Betting every race, and you should always cut down. You know, on 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 races that you just want some, you know, action uh, on the race. But you see it all the time where people be like, oh yeah, here's I'll, I'll just, I'm gonna put fifty on the fours. Like, but you don't. You haven't even looked at it. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, okay, sounds good. <laughs> you know, us us who have to work for a living and, and have to work a lot of hours for a living uh, tend to not, and I, I, I hope that people don't, you know, put large amounts of money on action bets, and especially when we're talking about, you know, tracks that you don't normally look at. I would hope that, you know, your your bankroll that you're you're using on that is, you know, $2 win place or, you know, something along those lines. I think it's always good. Me and JK and Pete on the horse player happy hour talking about it. Having, if you're going to handicap for five hours, you better be looking at bets the same way. Even if you're just going to do specific win bets, like if it's a 10 race card, find your top three win bets, maybe juice it a little bit more. Instead of doing five, you can do eight, 10, whatever. And then just know if you can lose 50 bucks on a card and your bankroll won't it'll take a hit but it won't be like you'll be busto 
then you can you know play the other smaller action bets two dollars here two dollars there but you're you're gonna if you're gonna lose money you're gonna lose it on your best opinion right exactly well and the other thing too right is after the races are done regardless of whether you're just throwing action bets out or not you should take a look at how you bet why you bet you know and and really try to analyze and study you know the reasons why you you made those handicapping decisions you know moving forward you'll be able to apply those those things with a little more confidence and have a better idea about your own thought process and how you uh, bet certain races and you know i think that there are so few people that actually look back at how they bet and what they bet uh, to be able to better their understanding of that it's not even that too my favorite thing to do is even more than handicapping is I like it when the buyers have come out the next day and I can go in and be like, well, I thought this horse was a mid 90 and he ended up being an 85. Well, was it the trip? Was the, the class level too high? Or if he comes in right at that little mid 90, I'm like, I had a really, really good instinct on this horse. And now when I see him come in next time, that'll be a horse that hopefully will have an improved chance. And I kind of know exactly where his numbers will be. And I can make a, a little bit bigger of a wager on him compared to, you know, when you watch somebody play certain races and they don't go back and recap. And they're just like, oh, it's the same horse that, like, a la Hidden Scroll, everyone thought was the horse of the year coming out of that sloppy uh, sloppy maiden win. And then everyone now still doesn't like the horse. The horse has got talent. There's no doubt about it. You don't go 166 in the Fountain of Youth for a first fraction time form rating unless if you're a good horse. Oh, 110%. And, you know, the the, the interesting th- thing, especially with Hidden Scroll, is just the enigma that is Hidden Scroll, where, you know, you, you know that the talent is there, but he, you know, he unfortunately will never live up to the expectations of anyone because of that. And, and that those types of horses tend to be overbet all the time just because of that sort of you know, uh, minutia that surrounds them. Uh, it, it's definitely very interesting. Chrome babies and Yada babies. I think the craziest thing that we always talk about is American Pharaoh's sister going off at eight to one, like two or three days after he won the Belmont and she won by five and everyone like couldn't believe that she was eight to one in a maiden race. And she ended up being an okay Philly, but just like, you always, I always bet against the Zenyatta babies, like two to five, three to five. Now they're trying to route. And it's just like, just because a horse has famous parents or a really good trainer, that the, the horse is the one that's doing the racing, not those other outside circumstances. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that was kind of the interesting thing about the first American Pharaohs coming out was, you know, we really didn't know whether, you know, the, the babies were going to, you know, relish the turf or relish the dirt or anything like that. But, you know, anytime that you saw American Pharaoh as the sire, you knew that horse is going to be taking extravagant amounts of money, regardless of anything else. It didn't matter who the jockey was, the trainer was. You knew that that horse was going to take buku dollars and <laughs> all all because of the name. What do you say, Marshall, we get started with these race recaps. We're going to start off with race number six at Oaklawn from this past Saturday. It's a $12,500 claimer going one and one sixteenth mile on the dirt. Where'd you end up in here? You know, for me, uh, I, I really liked the uh, number six gray sky for D Wayne Lucas. Uh, the, the horse had been, 
you know, kind of middling, you know, uh, at this level uh, earlier in the year. Uh, and, you know, I really thought that the the last race, the claiming 10, you know, really kind of showed us the, the type of horse that he is. You know, the the fact that he could sit in stock and it really felt like at that last race that uh, Kelsey Har had had really kind of figured the horse out. You know, the the horse had been kind of enigma was, uh, you know, it, it, it had been hard to figure out what the horse was really good at. You know, they tried sprints, they tried routes, they tried grass, they tried dirt, they tried basically the entire kitchen sink. I mean, I remember, you know, the, the horse used to be, uh, w- was on the, the Kentucky Derby trail in, in 2016. And, uh, it, it just never was able to, to get going when it came to that. Uh, so it's been, it's been kind of an interesting trip for gray sky. And I really thought that, you know, gray sky could sit behind some of the leaders and, and really kind of make that one run move that, the horse really likes to do now when you look back at the february 28th race the start of the form cycle it was a 66 then they dropped to the claiming tag for 2070 a nice little improvement the 16,000 down winner won for a year a little bit more improvement and then you finally get that breakthrough win at 10 although if you look at the past performances it seems like the horse loves a wet track and we didn't get a wet track yesterday Oh, I, I agree that the horse does excel on, on, on a wet track, but even going back, the horse, the horse has back class and the buyer speed figures, uh, had been steadily increasing, um, uh, throughout the year. And I felt that, you know, uh, maybe that he could take another step forward in, in this race, which would, which would definitely put him, uh, in the mix as far as some of the, the, the horses with the top buyer speed figures in this race. Something I love to do in claiming races is I always like to go through the field and see how many are dropping in class. Because if you look at historical knowledge, Barry Meadow has a great book out where he breaks it down. Droppers always win more than risers in class. So eight of the 12 were dropping. Three were dropping at least 50% from the 25K claiming tag. And two of them were the favorites, the number three front door and the number 12 Altito. What were your thoughts on those two horses? Uh, I didn't mind El Tito. Um, the front door, I was I was completely against. I, I left front door off every one of my tickets. You know, I just thought that some of his races were were a little dressed up. You know, in the in his last in both of the previous claiming twenty fives, you know, he had to had to come from mid pack and and even two back. He had to come from from almost last. Um, and trying to circle the field at Oakland Park these days felt like that was going to be uh, kind of a, a hard trip for him. And especially considering that we had, a, a, you know, a full f- field here, he would have had to have tripped out, you know, uh, immensely uh, just to be able to uh, match some of the, the speed figures and, and some of the races of, of the others. I did like El Tito coming in. Again, another deep closer, but I felt that um, especially, uh, in the claiming 40, he was, a, he was closing into a slow pace in the optional claiming 40 on December, uh, 18th, he was closing into a slow pace. And I really thought that, uh, he had been compromised in his previous efforts and going into, into this race that I felt had, had a little bit more speed, you know, with the, with the seven Herbie, with the five Dr. Hip, 
you know, it, it felt like those two were going to to really try to push the pace, and even Chicory Blue, the ten had had speed as has speed as well. So I felt like the the pace could be pushed, and and it would um, help someone uh, like El Tito who had been you know closing into slow paces previously. Didn't it seem for the number twelve El Tito almost like a fire sale? Claim the horse for fifty four back, and then they tried him in the in the optional two. Then they've dropped him into the regular 40. Now it's in for 25, now for 12. It just seemed like, not that they, they had given up on the horse, but they were trying to find a horse that wasn't in the best form, and they were trying to find the right spot for it. And I just, to me, when you see those horses drop three, four levels back to back to back to back, the form is never going to recover until either they get a break or they just really get a chance to figure the horse out. Yeah, that that was a, a concern of mine with El Tito, seeing that he was continually dropping through the through the claiming ladders, and you know sometimes you can get a rejuvenation, especially when we're talking about you know uh, we're we're dropping the price in half here, um, and especially with the the situation with COVID nineteen, uh, seeing drops like this doesn't necessarily worry me as much as it would otherwise mm-hmm. um, just because it, it feels like a lot there are a lot of owners that are trying to not get rid of but at least try to help themselves out um, by putting their horses in spots that they can not only win but that would be claimed from as well and you know someone like Maggie Moss who who has uh, Maggie Moss being the owner of the number 12 Altito um someone like that who does have uh, a fairly sizable stable uh, that, you know, being able to have this one claimed uh, for, for 12, five wouldn't necessarily be, um, you know, a a problem for, for me, this race ended up being what I thought was going to be a contentious race. The number four danger field was on my radar. Dr. Hip was as well. A lot of these horses had the right buyers that would fit with this level a horse that I was on the outside was like my third or fourth pick, but this is what happens. You know, this is why you don't always bet your first pick. The number seven Herbie was 10 to one morning line. I had him on my line. It was like nine to one ended up going off at 28 to one. So this horse ended up being really a key play for me. The 16,000 race last time out was a 70. It was right underneath really where they needed to be to fit in the level. And the 76 two back uh, different trainer and also with blue fractions I just thought that this horse for the price of 3x what I wanted him to be I just had to make a little across the board bet where did you end up wagering wise in this race Marshall um I keyed around gray sky with with all my bets I I really did like Herbie as well um you know having that speed and and being able to to get out to the front you know the that that race two back on blue fractions on the lead that kind of concerned me um, and especially when Dangerfield, who was also coming out of that race, who was not on the lead, who was actually coming, you know, from from fifth that day, um, really had was kind of up against that that race. Um, so I keyed, I, I had exactas and trifectas keyed around Gray Sky, and um, you, you know, moving uh, through um, some of the picks, you know, I, I liked Dangerfield, Doctor Hip, and Gray Sky moving forward. Let's see if I can get Herbie across the line or if Marshall can get Gray Sky to improve on a dry track right now. They're off. 
Herbie breaks well, and so does Dangerfield in front door. Chicory Blue and Gray Sky are close up. Dr. Hip, Altito, Hold On Angel, and Northern Brilliance next. Then Mallard's Bro and Wicket's Way, and the trailer is good, good. It's Herbie from Chicory Blue to the backstretch. Herbie leads by a half length. Chicory Blue is second by a length and a half to Gray Sky. Dangerfield between horses and front door at the rail. Then comes Dr. Hip. He's sixth with about four lengths to make up. Altito's just outside of him. Hold On Angel is eight lengths behind. He's two in front of Northern Brilliance. Then comes the Arkansas bred Mallard's Bro, 15 behind. Wicket's Way is next, and the trailer is good, good. Strung out over a lot of ground. Up the back stretch with Herbie and Chicory Blue, still 1-2. Herbie, three quarters of a length to Chicory Blue in second. Gray Sky and Dangerfield are now third and fourth. Front door is ridden along just a bit at the rail in fifth and four from the front. Dr. Hip and Altito are next. Then it's two and a half back to Hold On Angel and Northern Brilliance. They leave the back stretch and Herbie is still the leader. Herbie trying to go it all the way. Three quarters of a length to Chicory Blue in second. Dangerfield and Gray Sky third and fourth. Front door's at the rail. Still fifth and about four from the front. Dr. Hip and Altito outside of him. Top of the stretch. Chicory Blue and Herbie. Herbie's ahead in front. Chicory Blue is second. Now front door moves through at the rail. He's inside of Dangerfield. Both of them are on the move. Herbie still leads, though. It's Herbie in front of Dangerfield, who just took second. Front door dives to the inside. Herbie, Dangerfield in front door. A late run from Wicket's Way, but it's Dangerfield to take the lead. Front door going to try to move through and beat him on the money. Dangerfield, front door, front door, Dangerfield, Dangerfield. And the number four, Dangerfield, gets it done paying 1240 with an 81 buyer. Nice race, ran over the buyer par. What were your thoughts, Marshall? Yeah, I thought Dangerfield, you know, looked absolutely loaded coming around the turn. Uh, and, and once, you know, once Herbie had... Uh, had relinquished the lead it was it was way 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 over uh once dangerfield kind of took over coming down the lane uh gray sky i felt like got you know the mid-pack trip that uh, gray sky had always wanted and just flattened out bad uh coming out of the turn they just gray, gray sky just had nothing coming uh coming down the stretch only one of the two favorites seemed to fire. The one that fired was front door. Just lost by a neck. Just got just got beat. Thoughts maybe coming into the next race for a horse like that. Like, do you just kind of keep him at 12? Do you try and move him up a little bit now? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's Diodoro. So I would it, it wouldn't surprise me if the horse uh, stayed at 12. I, I don't think that there's any real reason to drop from here um but for how aggressive diodoro is with with the claiming game and with these claiming horses it wouldn't surprise me in the least to see this horse drop one more time um just to just to try to get <laughs> to get the the wind going the interesting thing with front door is front door you know rode kind of the rail all the way around um and i had heard um you know i, I talked with some some folks uh, yesterday and this morning about um, the, the potential for a bias, you know, and, and Sean Alvarez and, and Ryan McCarthy both kind of felt like there was a, a slight rail bias uh, uh, coming into the into the race, and it, you know it was it, it it felt like at times that was the case, um, but it, I think in the end, I me personally, in my opinion, I, I think that the the racetrack was playing pretty fair it, overall. I tend to agree with you just because of 
when I watched the earlier races, I was like, wow, they seem to be really on the muscle. You got to be second, third, fourth to even have a chance. And then I ended up hitting, I think it was the fourth race with the nine horse. The name is escaping me at the moment, but that horse broke dead last, cut through the field, and ended up winning. And when you see a race like that, was that horse just that much better? Is there a bias involved? It's so hard for me, too, because when people play only once or twice a week and they're like, oh, there's biases. The people who I trust doing the bias research are watching the track day in, day out, and making specific notes for the turf for turf racing, if there is turf racing, or for Oaklawn, like they, they're going to have specific notes on routes and sprints at certain distances to really tell me what is going on for that circuit at that specific time. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And you know, I I don't pay attention to Oaklawn um, enough to know uh, how the track profile normally goes, but for me, just looking at at this card, it felt like you know. There were some races where the horses were, were you know, riding the rail and, and did really well. And there were some races where horses swinging four, five, six wide were, were able to rally without any issue. So I think overall it felt pretty fair. Um, but, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm very curious to see how um, some of the um, biased numbers that, that people come up with uh, really shake out with this day. For this race as a whole, too, Dangerfield and Front Door both ran higher than the buyer par, and then Wicket's Way, who came in third, Herbie and Chicory Blue all came back within the six points for the buyer par. So five of 12 horses come back running within the par or better. This seems like a pretty strong 12-5 claiming race. I wouldn't be surprised to see a couple horses maybe jump up and possibly be overlooked in this because when a horse jumps up to 16, he's jumping up. He ran fourth even though that was probably a better fourth than most people will think. And you might be able to get, you know, 10, 15 to 1 on Herbie coming into the next race, and it's a horse that will show speed. Yeah, it, it'll definitely be interesting seeing how these horses coming out of the race, you know, where they end up, you know, especially considering, you know, the amount of horses coming into the race that were already dropping. Um, it, it did feel that this was a very good um, claiming 12-5 group just because of the amount of horses that were that were dropping their claiming price in, in half, and and you kind of knew going into it that this was this was definitely a good 12-5, no doubt. What do you say we move along to Oaklawn race number eight? It was the Grade Three Count Fleet going six furlongs on the dirt. It's one of my favorite horses in training, favorite horses since I've really started watching the game. Whitmore back in action. What were your thoughts? Yeah, yeah. Whitmore is he is something else. You know, when when you have a horse that has been around um, for as long as he has, and and has been you know going up against you know some of the best uh, in this uh, in this class, it's it's always awesome to see horses stick around for that long. Um, Going into the race, it felt like there was a, a lot of speed signed on, and I mean a lot of speed. Although lately, I feel like I've been saying that about a lot of these uh, sprint type races. But when you have horses like you know uh, Flagstaff, who is typically on the lead, you have you know Bobby's Wicked One, who has no other way to go but to the lead. You have a horse like Mr. Jagermeister, who needs the lead to win. Oh, by the way, Minnesota bread. Um, <laughs> and, uh, Hidden Scroll, who who really likes to be forward. 
you know, um, share the upside who really likes to be forward. So it felt like there was a lot, a lot of speed signed on. Um, and for me, I, I really wanted a horse that was going to be coming, coming mid pack or, or further, uh, to be able to close into that speed. And for me, I, I really, really liked, uh, I really liked the number three hog Creek hustle. You know, I thought that uh, he has been kind of unlucky, in some of the the bigger type races he's been in and the Breeders' Cup Sprint and the HL and Jerkins, you know, I think that, you know, those, those two races, especially, I felt like he, he really, um, really was unlucky. Um, as far as the BC Sprint, he had absolutely zero, zero chance um, with getting shut off down the lane in that race. Um, you know, and, and even going further back to his Woody Stevens, where, you know, he was able to close into a fast pace, you know, so the, the horse is, horse is grade one winner, uh, a very good closer, um, probably, uh, you know, I'd probably say the second or third best closer in the field. I mean, nitrous has, um, uh, a pretty crazy, uh, closing kick, but he's also going to be you know, 20 lengths out the back almost every race. And I, and I felt that uh, a horse like uh, Hog Creek Hustle could could sit a little bit closer and be able to make that, that one, you know, gigantic run coming, uh, coming around the turn. I had three opinions coming into this race. The first one was the number two Flagstaff would probably run somewhere in the mid-90s for a buyer. Just didn't seem like the type of horse yet that was going to improve into that triple digits. Also, was shipping in for the first time to Oakland. That's always something to watch out for. Uh, Bobby's Wicked One had just run those two monster, monster races over at the fairgrounds against six horses combined in those last two races, three in each race. So he was one. And when he ended up making him three to one on the line, I just thought this was a complete underlay, and I was going to let this type of horse beat me with also you saying how much speed was in the race. Our good old friend, Hidden Scroll. What is there to say about Hidden Scroll that hasn't been said already? The horse had just run 102 buyer in an optional 35 under slow fractions. And the last time he'd run this fast was the 104 maiden race. For people who didn't think this horse was either going to, he had finally like eclipsed and was going to turn the corner and become a really good horse. I just read bounce right across the form as, as like as quick as I could. I just didn't see where this horse was going to come back and run well enough again to challenge these types, and at 4-1 to one was a definite underlay. The morning line favorite, Whitmore. Coming out of the hot springs, slow pace, 104 buyer. I didn't think he was going to run that well again, but, I mean, the horse is pretty much... I wouldn't be surprised if he's Oakland's top ever earner. I don't know that for a fact, but just a really, really gritty horse, always tries. It scared me when he went, when he drifted up in odds. I didn't really know what to do in this spot. Yeah, I, I really liked Whitmore as well. Um, Whitmore was a was a horse that you know it has battled up you know against you know uh, you know maximum security Matoli Catalina Cruiser you name it he he's ran up against them and you know looking at at this race it felt like it was going to set up really well for him you know being that there was going to be such a fast pace. I, I really didn't know where he would be, or, you know, sitting in the race as far as um, was he going to be mid-pack? Was he going to be out the back? Was he going to be towards the front? Um, I really wasn't sure what, what Talamo was going to do as far as that's concerned because he does have um, uh, some versatility. I mean, when you're second 
you know, let's see here. Um, in April 13th in 2019, um, in the count fleet, he had run up against Matoli and he was a half length and a head behind Matoli the entire way around. Mm-hmm. So you, so you know that he can possess speed if he wants, um, and if he needs to. So it, it was kind of interesting to, to figure out where exactly Whitmore was going to sit during the race. Um, and the hidden scroll, I, I didn't know what to do with them. Honestly, uh, you know, that he's super talented, that one Oh two buyer speed figure in the optional claiming 35 was good. Uh, and the entire, the entire way around it, you know, he's basically idled all the way around. Nobody was even close to, to challenging him. And I really had no idea what to do with him coming out of that race. If he ran that one Oh two again, you know, he would absolutely be a contender considering that he was idled the entire way down the stretch. You know, maybe there was a possibility for him to to increase, you know, from the 102. And in your case, I could also see him bouncing to the moon and, and you know, not being able to, to run anything near that too. So I, I, I really had no idea what to do with Hidden Scroll. I used him defensively in all of my picks, because I, I just, I really didn't know which hidden scroll we were going to see. Where did you end up from a wagering standpoint? Obviously, you used hidden scroll. We were getting toward the end of the end of the races where I'm sure you were still alive in picks and stuff like that. Were you doing anything uh, within the race? Any win bet? Any exactas? Yeah, I, I had I had win bets um, uh, on on Hog Creek Hustle, uh, and then I used Hog Creek Hustle as a key. Uh, to key around with, you know, Flagstaff, because I thought that he was going to be um, the one uh, of the speeds, he would be the one that could probably withstand it. Um, uh, You know, I obviously used Hidden Scroll, uh, Whitmore, and I also used a little bit of Nitrous. I I was hoping that he could, um, that he could improve again and really, really start to um, motor down the lane once everyone was kind of getting leg weary. I was actually a little bit nervous about Whitmore rising in price. I couldn't put my finger on why that was happening. The last race, the 104, we've said slow fractions. I had, due to the ability figures, I had lowered it a little bit. So like maybe it was going to be a hundred or a high 90 that he'd probably run that day. And he is and he is seven, so maybe he's getting, you know, just a little bit old in the tank. Maybe he can't put forth those type of efforts every time. So I actually ended up passing the race. The only other horse I would have ended up betting would have been Flagstaff. But that horse was seven to two on the line. I just didn't – I needed something a little bit higher that would at least get me, like, you know, a $10 horse. So I ended up passing this race. Let us see if Marshall can get Hog Creek Hustle across the line here in the Count Fleet right now. They're off. Bobby's Wicked One breaks beautifully from Share the Upside in a second. Wendell Fong and Mr. Jägermeister are close up. Then comes Whitmore and Hidden Scroll at the rail, Lexitonian and Maniwa, followed by Nitrous and Hog Creek Hustle, and the trailer is Flagstaff. Up the backstretch with Bobby's Wicked One and Share the Upside. They'll match strides past the half-mile marker, Share the Upside outside. Bobby's Wicked One at the rail. It's a length and a half to Hidden Scroll. Mr. Jägermeister's between horses. Whitmore is fifth at this point. 
point and a four lengths behind the front runners. Then comes Manny Waugh at the rail. Then comes Wendell Fong. Four back to Nitrous who begins to unwind top of the stretch. Here comes Hidden Scroll outside of Share the Upside and Hidden Scroll puts his head in front but Whitmore looms large in the center of the racetrack. Here comes Whitmore outside of Hidden Scroll. Share the Upside still very much part of this battle and Whitmore has put his head in front. It is Whitmore now a length and a half in front of Share the Upside. Then to the inside and Manny Waugh, he's going to do it again. Look at this race horse. Flagstaff just ran into second. It is Whitmore. And Whitmore gets it done paying 820 Interesting race. Hog Creek Hustle just didn't get the right trip, Marshall. Is that what your thought was? The interesting thing with Hog Creek Hustle is right out of the gate was a step slow and was out the back. Um, and then uh, Drain Van Dyke, who had never rode Hog Creek Hustle before, had made a really sharp middle move halfway through the race. Um, and because of the fractions, you know, the, to the half was 44 and three-fourths. Um, so Hog Creek Hustle had made a, a move into that really fast um, half. So I, it, I, it completely flattened out his his kick coming down the lane, and he, he had nothing left. Bobby's Wicked one, I guess, just went a little bit too fast going sub-22 there in a race loaded with speed. That's never going to get the job done. No, Bobby's Wicked one, Share the Upside was up there as well. You know, you had... Wendell Fong, in who was challenging the pace as well, he had Hidden Scroll on the very outside. Um, Mr. Jagermeister was trying to be wrangled back by Thompson, and just couldn't. It, it, it was it was definitely interesting to see all of those horses really, really pushing the fast pace. Yeah, when you're 21 and three, 44 and three, 56 and three, I mean that's that is bound to come apart at the end it's interesting this will be with when it comes down to bankroll management if herbie can get up and get third in that sixth race and i don't have such a small profit for the day coming into this which was and ending up being my last race of the day betting wise i probably would have put some money on whitmore obviously we had talked about how we thought flagstaff was going to run a mid 90 whitmore ended up running a 96 for his win and then manny Waugh for coming in third at 74 if I had, for some reason, had played the try, single, single, all, it would have cost me, I think, like five fifty for fifty cents for a three eighteen try. So, to have my two opinions run first and second and not end up making money in this race, all based off just having a small profit, I've always been the more conservative, better. But it's just it's days like this that I can't let that kind of you know get into my head. I still have a profit for the day. I could have had a lot more, but. I'd much rather be a conservative better than the aggressive better. What are your thoughts on conservative against aggressive betting? I mean, if if you have strong opinions, you should be aggressive. If you don't have strong opinions, then you shouldn't be. I mean, ultimately. Um, the interesting thing about this race in particular was Flagstaff, you know, leaving the gate stumbled mm-hmm. and was dead last. And that is not something that, that Flagstaff has has had to ever really overcome except in his debut and to see the run that flagstaff made coming down the lane and you know being able to gobble up as much ground as he did you know losing by half length is was was really really something and it it does make you wonder that 
um, if Flagstaff were to have broken out of the gate a little better, if he if he wouldn't have been able to to catch up to Whitmore. Is it time to just say with Hidden Scroll? Can we just get him through his conditions before we keep plopping him in these weird stake races? Yeah, I. It's hard to. I mean, I understand that because of how um, how scheduling races has really really kind of hindered things and i'm sure that you know bill mott had had to change his plan with hidden scroll because of covid19 in general um but you know it it felt like this was a really aggressive spot for him um and it kind of turned out that way i do think too you know being three wide with that sort of pace was was never going to be a recipe for success at all mm-hmm. for Hidden Scroll. Um, in uh, you know, so I I have the opinion that depending on the spot that he shows up, I can be, you know, I can forgive him for this effort in general. Um, but it it'll it feels like no matter what race he shows up, he's kind of going to take money, and that uh, that really concerns me with him in general. But if a horse like that that you have such a a good negative opinion about, thinking that he won't run as well, you're hoping he shows up in a spot like that and takes a ton of money. That way, that some horse that you might like could be five, six, ten to one. Oh, absolutely, I I completely agree. Um, again, it'll depend on the spot, and you know, hopefully, hopefully he can you know get through his conditions before going up against you know a pretty strong Grade One field here. Um, you know, the, the, the race in itself, um, it was only a grade three, but you know, when you have grade one winners and in the field like this, Mm -hmm. it was, it, this was a loaded field. Any other thoughts on any of the other also rans for this race, Marshall? You know, the, the, the most interesting horse to me coming out of this was share the upside, um, share the upside being, being the one who actually set that pace. Um, and one whom I felt was was very much a cut below this entire field really really hung on um, and was was really stubborn coming down the lane to be honest um, it'll be interesting to see where he ends up moving forward I still don't think that he's a grade one type of horse but I do think that he is a good sprinter and he definitely possesses a lot of front end speed because I, I, I did not think that he was going to be the one that was going to set the pace in this race. I think another allowance type condition, he's already cleared his N2X or maybe a nice listed stake is probably what would be the best thing for him. It's always that little grade three listed stake drop where they're kind of all intermingled. But I think he's definitely got a chance to be a stake winner this year. What do you say we go on to the creme de la creme? Oaklawn, race number 10. It was the grade one Apple Blossom going 1-1-16 on the dirt. Come Dancing was a favorite that I took a hard pass on. I just didn't want anything to do with this horse. Like I had talked about on the Horse Player Happy Hour, I, after more consideration, still ended up on Serengeti Empress, even with all the speed in there. CC I thought, was just a little bit too out wide, and Ollie's Candy, I just didn't think was good enough. Yeah, I... <laughs> I, I had very similar uh, opinions. I really did like Serengeti Empress coming into the race. You know, I thought that she was by far the speed of the speed. And um, I, I really thought that as far as 
a, a horse going fast is concerned that she would actually benefit. Uh, she has always been uh, a horse that if she goes fast early, she can easily gut a f- the rest of the field and, and really kind of stretch the field out, um, you know, coming around the turn. And, it, you know, by that point, it's too hard for, for most of the field to, to kind of keep to keep catching up to her uh, before the line. So I really I really did like Serengeti Empress. I really liked Cece as well. That 14 post really worried me, though. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that, that hundred buyer in the beholder mile was really, really good. Um, even though there, you know, there was a, a, a pretty, you know, decent pace signed on for that, that race. You know, I thought she closed very well in, in, and was able to stock and, and really kind of pulled away at the end. So I really did like CC the post really, really worried me with her though. And I, I really liked the five point of honor um going going into this race there were there was a lot of steam uh for point of honor and i knew that she was not going to be anywhere near that 10 to 1 morning line and same with street band being 15 to 1 i knew that she was not going to be anywhere near that that price either but um i still thought that point of honor had a lot of room to improve uh, i thought that her last the the seven furlong um, you know, basic sprint at Tampa, you know, Tampa has been playing really kind of kind to speed. And the fact that in that race too, there was, it was a very slow pace that she had to try to close into that, that was basically a, a disaster, um, for her in, in that respect. So I, I really, really liked her coming into the race and especially with the speed signed on, I thought that she could take advantage of it. It's interesting looking back at it, come dancing, off the layoff for D. Wayne, who has not been that good off the layoff recently. I just don't know where the morning line really went here. Three to one, I thought, was just a complete washout. And she ended up going off at eight to one. Serengeti Empress ended up going off as the favorite, which makes a lot more sense. Ollie's Candy going from going into the one hole and CC being so far outside. Maybe a flipping of the script was going to happen, but the last race that she had won was at the uh, Clement Hirsch at Del Mar last year. And then it just ran behind CC by seven. I just, the workouts were great coming in and John Sadler, like we've said, it's just not been the best guy to ship out of California. No, I, I agree. And I didn't know what to do with Ollie's candy. Um, you know, I, I thought that she would have had to have made up a lot of ground to be able to, to, um, make up for that that difference against cc in in the beholder mile and i I really just didn't want anything to do with her coming into this race you know looking looking at it you know she took a you know seven to one off the 12 to one morning line so she took a lot of money and i almost felt like that was kind of rosario money more Mm -hmm. than anything else um just because joel rosario has been been riding very well and i just thought that the reason why she took so much money was because of that. And like you said, I mean, the last win, you got to look back to last year in the Clement Hirsch, you know, where she was going up against Secret Spice and LaForce, whom, you know, I, I, they, no offense to them, but they don't class up to some of those in this field. And I, I, I really thought that there were a lot better ways to go other than Ollie's Candy. What were your thoughts going in wagering-wise? Were you still alive in picks? Did you need something for going ahead or were you just vertical again exact as in win bets um 
so for my picks, I I had I had uh, most of my picks were through um, Serengeti Empress and CC. Um, though those were my two strongest opinions in the race, so most of my picks went through there. Um, I had a few tickets where I spread and and used horses like Street Band, Point of Honor. I had nothing on Come Dancing. I did not want anything to do with Come Dancing going into this race. I didn't think she wanted the distance one bit. And um, coming off of a layoff, I mean, you you laid it out perfectly. I I just I did not trust her coming into this race whatsoever. <clears throat> and and looking at the morning line, I didn't want her anything near that three to one morning line, much less the eight to one you know, just prior to post. So I, I, I was completely against her in that respect. Uh, I, I also used, um, uh, all these candy defensively just because of Joel Rosario. Um, but I only had her on one of the tickets just cause I, I really didn't want anything to do with her. Let's see if Marshall can get his tickets home. Can Serengeti Empress win the Alpha Blossom? Let's check it out right now. They're at the post. They're off. CC broke better than Serengeti Empress, but Serengeti Empress and Cookie Dough are going to set the pace. Ollie's Candy has asked for a lot of speed by Joel Rosario, and here's Ollie's Candy to move through and even try to take the lead. Three across the track. Then comes Come Dancing, followed by CC, who's racing in fifth. Coldwater is next. Then go Google yourself and Horologist. Ah, Emma and Saracosa. Then Street Band and Lady Apple, followed by Queen Nakia, and the trailer is Point of Honor and there is a lot of speed on. Serengeti Empress has backed off. So Cookie Dough and Ollie's Candy are going to set the pace jointly up the back stretch in the Apple Blossom and Ollie's Candy is ahead in front. Cookie Dough is second by a length and a quarter to Serengeti Empress. Come Dancing moves through inside of her. She's third and two from the clear leader now at the half mile pole, which is Ollie's Candy. Three lengths now further back to CC. She's fifth for Victor Espinosa and five off the lead. Then Horala Go Google yourself. Ah, Emma Street Band at the rail. Then comes Sarah Kosa, and at the back of the pack, point of honor, Ollie's Candy continues to lead. It's been an aggressive trip, and she goes to the quarter pole with a two-length margin. Serengeti Empress is bracketed by Come Dancing and to the outside CC. Sarah Kosa draws within three of the lead. Then go Google yourself. In the center of the track, point of honor is rolling. So Ollie's Candy comes to the final furlong, but CC is gunning her down on the outside. CC and Ollie's Candy. These two will decide the apple blossom, and it's going to be desperately close. Ollie's Candy, CC, Ollie's Candy, and CC. Oh, my. I think CC got up by an inch in the last stride, but it is desperately, desperately close between her and Ollie's Candy. And CC gets it done paying 980 with a 98 buyer speed figure. What were your thoughts going in here, Marshall? Yeah, I thought I thought Victor Espinosa rode CC. I mean, perfectly, and you know, timed the ride perfectly with just being able to to pass Ollie's Candy at uh, at the Shadow of the Wire. Uh, so I mean, it was it, it was a well well timed ride. I thought CC was very impressive. You know, coming from that 14 post and basically being hung hung wide uh, most of the way through. Uh, I thought that uh, that she was. She was good. Um, I was most impressed with all these candy. I mean, when you're when you're setting fractions of 22 and one, 40, 
five and two. Um, that is wicked fast for a mile and a 16th. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she was able to, <laughs> to darn near pull off the, the win, uh, that I thought that was, that was a very, very interesting ride by Rosario. I mean, having Ollie's Candy, Serengeti Empress, and Cookie Dough all basically being quarter horsed out of the gate to to get to the lead, and Rosario just keeping the rail and, and keeping his position, I thought was it was a brilliant ride. I thought that uh, during the race that it was really dumb, and I thought that he was going to run Ollie's Candy into the ground because of it. Uh, but in the end, it, it proved to be very heady considering that he was able to put away Serengeti Empress and Cookie Dough um, pretty handily considering Cookie Dough finished last and Serengeti Empress was fourth to last. Um, so that that definitely uh, was a, a very impressive performance for, for the two California invaders. Come dancing, goes off at 8-1, to one, ends up running third last right behind Serengeti Empress. They were originally going to retire or sell, and now they brought him back. What do you think will be next? You think she's going to try and go shorter again? Because I just the whole layout, the long race, it just it was a very very strange spot. Yeah, I, I didn't understand the reason for bringing her back in a in a mile and a sixteenth race. Um, the you know she had she had won in a mile and a sixteenth in the slot before. Um, but that was also in a race where she was able to control the pace and you knew going into this race that that just was not going to be the case. It was not going to happen that way. Um, so yeah, uh, hopefully they, they cut her back in, in, and put her in a, um, in a position where, you know, she can be, you know, uh, attending the, the pace. I think that these Older Philly and Mayor. I always love this division. I think that there's not really going to be a runaway horse this year when it comes down to if Breeders' Cup happens. CC won with a 98. The next five or six horses were all in the 90s still. I think this is going to be some fun, fun racing to go through the summer. And I think that there's going to be a lot of different winners of all the better stake races throughout the year for this division. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and the thing about it too is it, it feels like it's. Uh, it's a very competitive division and there's a lot of horses that are kind of on the, on the brink of being able to, to get through and, and get their first grade one wins. And, you know, I, I feel too, that there, there are quite a few of light, lightly erased uh, fillies as well that are uh, fillies and mares that are ready to be able to uh, eclipse that, that uh, grade one win. So it, it'll be fun moving forward. You know, I really hope that, you know, Serengeti Empress, uh, will be able to to find a grade one with her name just so that uh jonathan kinchin has to pay out his bet uh, <laughs> i wasn't gonna bring it up <laughs> but uh i i really hope that um that this division continues to be as competitive because uh, this field was it was a, a really good field ultimately well jk survives for one more race that's all the time we have for today i'd like to really thank my guest marshall sterling again for coming on really appreciate it hey thank you spencer i appreciate the time thanks to all of our great fans for listening to this show and my special guest marshall sterling this show has been a production of in the money media in the money media's president is peter thomas fornatel our chief creative officer is jonathan kinchin and our In the Money Media business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time. 